0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode 51. We're almost there. The one-year special. So excited. The crew is here with you. Richard, how's it going?
1: Hey, everyone. What's going on?
0: Seth, how's it going, buddy? Doing good, guys. All right, so on the docket uh, for this cast, we are going to be talking about BNR announcement. It's next week. A interesting proxy rule change that has uh, suddenly got people pretty peeved, uh, to say the least. Uh, so we're going to talk about those together. SEG Charlotte, and we wanted to talk about that. We're not really going to talk about GP Oakland. We might mention it briefly, but it really wasn't on our docket. We decided really not to talk about it because standards are going to be changing soon anyway. And some financial talk. Uh, Seth, Richard, and I are going to get into it. A lot of <laughs> – whenever there's modern season around, you can always uh, associate that with price increases. So we wanted to touch on that. And we haven't really talked about finance a lot uh, in the last few weeks because of spoilers. And what we'll talk about spoilers, we're gonna wrap it up with our uh we had the full spoiler release, so we wanted to get our kind of final thoughts and talk about Oath of the Gate Watch, uh, now that it's fully spoiled. So we're we'll end on that note and some fish mail. So a lot to talk about. Let's just dive right in. Uh so the B and R announcement is next week, gentlemen. Uh what do you think is going to happen now that we have Charlotte? You know, we got to see kind of a precursor for the Pro Tour and, and future modern uh what do you think, Richard?
1: Stoneforge Mystic. Unbanned? Unbanned. I'm okay. still that's the best way to shake up Modern. Like I, I think they're gonna do something in Bloom Titan, but I think you're so. still gonna have Jun versus Twin or some garbage at the table, right? Like it's gonna look exactly the same still. You need to add a new card. I don't think there's anything from uh oh so the Gate Watch that will, you know, totally shift the metagame. But yeah. something like Stoneforge Mystic or Bloodbraid Elf, but I think Bloodbraid Elf is a bit too strong. Uh, I think that would shake up the game and make the modern Pro very interesting. But yeah. if it's not that, then it's just going to be Jun Twin Infect or something, and it'll be the exact same thing we've been seeing for the last year.
0: Right. So just Stoneforge Mystic unbanned
1: and something with Bloom Titan banned. I think. Okay.
0: I think that that's created too much salt in the community. I think they're
1: going to have to make it go. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Seth? Uh, yeah, something from Amulet Bloom, I'm pretty sure, is like 95% to get banned at this point. Uh, probably Summer Bloom, but it could also just be Amulet. So I think that's almost guaranteed. Like, the mood of the community, like Richard has said, is definitely heavily in favor of that at this point. In the last few weeks, seeing that deck on camera at some SCG events has just kind of shown how over-the-top explosive and powerful it can be. Uh, so I think that that's pretty much guaranteed. And then as far as unbannings, I think they'll unban something, but I really don't know what it is. I don't think it'll be Stoneforge Mystic. I could see arguments for Sword of the Meek, uh, maybe Green Sun Zenith, and the outside Dark Horse, which no one's talking about, if they want to just do something crazy, could be Jace the Mind Sculptor. Interesting. Yeah, I, I agree
0: with the Bloom Titan banning. I think something needs to go, whether it be Summer Bloom or Amulet, like, like you said, Richard and, and Seth, uh, something has to go, and that's just pretty much it. Because, again, we talked about this numerous times in the past. It, it's not about, uh, deck percent dominance. It's about what the deck is capable of in the first four turns. And I think, uh, you know, I, I just think they might axe it, uh, but, that's not, I think it's, it's likely to happen. Not always guaranteed. And yeah, I think it's either going to be, you know, everyone's talking about it. I I'm kind of against stoneforge, but I, I can see them unbanning it. That or sort of the meek, like you said, Seth, I think is two of the cards that are like likely candidates, either either one or both. Uh, who knows at this point? Uh, but yeah, I I'm, I'm pretty confident in, in what you guys said as well.
2: Um, I wanted to say, too, the people have been talking about Eldrazi Temple getting banned, and to me, that sounds like insanity. I don't know how you, I don't think with as intensely that as Wizards bans things in Modern, I don't think you can ban Eldrazi Temple from a deck that has, like, won a couple leagues on Magic Online and got a couple, like, top yeah. issues <laughs> at SCGs events. Like It didn't. It didn't even do that. It's got top 32s, I think. Like, not no, top 8s, but...
0: No, it was not in the top 32.
2: Uh, maybe the week before, I think it did. But yeah, anyway... Not at, not at Charlotte. Regardless, it hasn't won right. anything at this mm-hmm. point. So the idea that people are even talking about that just seems crazy to me. I don't know why anyone would even consider that a possibility. Yeah, I don't... I don't. That's...
0: Uh, <laughs> considering the deck, like, just came into existence, banning, like, Eye of Ugin or Eldrazi Temple seems uh, insane uh, at this point. Uh, like, I just don't see it happening. Because if you – because my logic is if you ban something from the Eldrazi list, right, then you might as well just ban Tron, too, because they both literally do, like, similar things. They're playing giant things on turn four.
2: And the other thing is Wizards is printing this colorless Eldrazi set, and I think they want it to make a splash at the Pro Tour. Like, they don't get a standard Pro Tour to show off the new set. So they want to see Thought Not Seer or something like come down on turn two in Modern at the Pro Tour because that's going to be great for them selling their new set. So I think the odds of them banning something related to Eldrazi right now is just like zero. They're not. They want Eldrazi to be big at this Pro
0: yeah, Tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think their original uh, intent was it to be a splash and standard, but I guess they'll take Modern at this point. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um, to add to this, we said uh, we were going to talk about this uh, proxy rule change, and and Richard, uh, you know, enlighten us here because you had a little bit more of the story.
1: Yeah, I read Reddit this morning.
0: Okay, <laughs> so there you go. But basically, I did it. a uh... I got the through the grapevine.
1: <laughs> yeah, a, a so basically, a local game store that runs sanctioned Wizards events was contacted by their WPN Wizards uh, representative or WPN representative Wizards Play Network as saying that they could no longer run unsanctioned events with proxies or else they risk losing their WPN status. Mm. So basically, uh, if you're a game store, uh, if you want to run official Wizards events, you're not allowed to run unofficial Wizards events with proxies. So a lot of people are up in arms about this thinking, you know, why is Wizards doing this? How are we going to afford to play vintage? You know, they're unsanctioned. Why do they even care? And, uh, it seems like it's more than an unsubstantiated rumor, because we've had other people in the thread say, yeah, this happened to my local game store a couple of months ago, uh, and things like that. So that that is the news, and currently everyone in the community is kind of up in arms about this, uh, wondering why Wizards is you know doing something that is not harming anyone.
0: Yeah, I, I get from their perspective that they want to protect their IP, and they want people playing with official Magic the Gathering cards and I can understand their position. That being said, I agree. I don't, I mean, why would you care? I mean, some of these players, like, now suddenly can't play vintage and legacy and, you know, sometimes even modern. Like, it's unsanctioned, so who really cares? I don't know. I think this is a pretty big blow to the already dwindling community of anyone or any player playing these older formats that for just for fun. Uh, and going into their local gaming store and not having to go out and buy a $5,000, you know, Black Lotus just to play vintage. So I think it's a pretty, it's, it's not very good PR and, and, and I think the negative feedback from the community is, uh, is justified and, and understandable.
2: I'm picturing this, like, dystopian magic future where Wizards (laughs) hires, like, secret police to go undercover at game stores and wait for a new player to, like, take a basic land and Sharpie Liliana on it and, like, jump out and grab him and ban him.
0: <laughs> like, <laughs> just black bag <laughs>
2: yep. yep shouldn't have done that <laughs> put your sharpies away but seriously this is one of the most ridiculous things i've ever heard like i get that we have a problem or there's some amount of a problem with forgeries. Yeah. but there's a distinction between forgeries and proxies like people that are proxying to go play an unsanctioned vintage event uh, whatever 10 vintage cards that they don't own those people aren't doing this in a way that's bad for the game. Like the proxy guy on YouTube makes proxies that you could never sell to anyone as a real magic card. It is clear. They're a proxy. It says on them, they're not for sale and that they're a proxy. So there's no doubt about it. That, that is good for the game, and this just seems like another blow from Wizards towards the legacy and vintage communities. Like the, those formats are already dying out, and there's they're unwilling or unable to increase supply of these cards to make them more successful, uh, accessible. So now, if people can't use ten proxies to play a Black Lotus and go to their vintage tournament, that's going to cut down on the attendance at these events even more and make vintage and legacy even less playable for the people that do have a full legacy collection because those players that have all the cards in legacy and vintage want people to be able to play with 10 proxies because they need opponents they want to have tournaments yeah, people yeah. show up and play so this isn't just hurting the new players it's hurting the established people with big collections as well yeah i i totally understand
0: richard yeah. from a
1: player's perspective this, this totally sucks but from Wizards' perspective, like, I can see where they're coming from, right? Because yeah. it's not a matter of quality. It's it's kind of like you go into a game store and you've never seen Magic the Gathering before. And then you see, like, these cards sharpied on, you know, to represent other cards. Like, what what is going on, right? It kind of damages the image of the game. So I could see that point of view, but, like, how big of a problem was this? Like, how many unsanctioned proxy yeah. events were actually going on? And was it worth kind of getting the ill will of the community to go after this and my gut feeling says something like if you don't do this then it sets legal precedents for something else and so they have to do this but i don't know like well, I-, I always thought it was kind of weird that you could play at a store with proxies like proxies are kind of a thing that you do at home and with your own play group for testing but i don't know i mean i, I feel the player's pain but wizards kind of has to do what they need to do so yeah. i don't know it just seems really weird and it- it's a really bad situation for yeah. I guess both parties. But, I mean, like, what are they going to do? They're not going to go print vintage staples. Or maybe that is the answer. Print the gold-bordered cards and make them legal maybe. for unsanctioned tournaments, like the collector's editions.
0: Maybe but then doesn't that way? Like, like this? Yeah, maybe. But doesn't that, like, totally destroy some of these, uh, uh, the values of some cards? I mean, not that it would, not that, you know, maybe you just go ahead and do it, and that's the only way people will be able to play anyway. So you kind of have to take that as it comes. But you're right, Richard, I mean... Now, like, how big of an issue was it to, like, I can see it from both sides. Like, how many of these tournaments were getting sanctioned or, uh you know, even held in even a non-sanctioned format for them to even want to do this from Wizards' standpoint? Like, I don't know if they really need to provide a solution from their end. So I can see both
2: sides. Uh, well, in if it's about protecting their IP... I don't understand, I was telling you guys this story earlier, there's someone in my local area that every month posts an ad on Craigslist selling forgeries from China as proxies of Power 9 cards and dual lands And every month, because I'm worried these are going to get into collections that I buy and it's going to be a big hassle, I report it to Wizards. And the next month, the guy posts the ad again. It stays up. Nothing happens. So if they're so worried about protecting their IP that they're going to crack down on uh, Marcel releasing different art for the cube on Magic Online or people playing 10 Proxy Vintage unsanctioned at their local game store, you would think they would do something about people that are blatantly selling fake cards in the United States, to people in their community, and I just don't see that happening. At least, in, that's my personal like experience with this stuff. Maybe they're doing it in some areas, and I just don't see it. But I've been reporting the same guy for six months, and the next month the ad keeps coming back up. So they apparently aren't policing it too well. Maybe
1: it's like drugs; they're just keeping him around and trying to get his supplier. <laughs> it's like they'll go after the dealer, go after the supplier. Uh, I guess that but, I guess is one thing is a lot easier than the other. Like you have. A WPN relationship with the store, so it's much easier to quote-unquote threaten them than to like track down some guy in an alley somewhere like selling yeah. proxies and like, <laughs> yeah. hey, stop selling proxies, because then you gotta like go through the police and stuff, right? Uh,
2: yeah, someone mentioned on Twitter the idea of starting an unsanctioned magic store in response to this, and it's Kind of an interesting idea. Does even <laughs>
0: uh, you just roll tournaments and that aren't ever sanctioned, but then you can never play in pre-releases or anything like that, so yeah, I don't know.
1: FNM promo, the whole point yeah. of paper magic. <laughs> More realistically, uh, two days from now, no one will care anymore. <laughs> like, you know, the the ten people that actually played proxy, ten proxy yeah. vintage, they lament a bit, but...
0: Yeah. Like, I um, haven't
1: seen a 10 proxy vintage paper tournament or anything. Like, I've, I've heard of them online, but I've never actually seen one in real life.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's a big, ch- it, it's, it's a big blow to, I don't know how, like, what percentage of players. Uh, it seems that, that, like, less than 1% always somehow, like, resur- like, surfaces to the top of, like, all social media. So I don't know if, like, if that was a huge amount of people doing it, but, uh, you know, I understand that the, the, the like, I understand the player's perspective. I understand Wizard's perspective, but I, I think it would be a good idea to explore options to try and get around this. Like, you know, maybe the, the, the store owner doesn't, uh, like, I don't know how this would work. Maybe, you know, you get together with a, a set amount of players, you know, you pay the store and they just kind of turn their head and no one, you know, you just have your own tournament or you go and, you know, maybe, As an option, go to these, uh, you know, Seth and I discussed, uh, the, like the American Legion where, you know, you rent out a space and, or, you know, at a school or something and you just go do your, do your thing. I mean, I, I don't think it should stop you from doing it if you like to do it. That's my like kind of final thing on it. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I never played like proxy, vintage, or, or legacy, or anything like that, so uh, unfortunately, I can't sympathize. But I do empathize and, and understand where people are coming from. So, uh, any any last thoughts on that? Or okay, let's let's move on to uh, Charlotte, and uh, this will be a nice segue into the finance talk that we wanted to talk about. So, Brian Huffman took it down the S C G Modern Open. Uh, Charlotte with Jund taking down Gorio's Vengeance and uh basically spawned a huge discussion for like a couple of days about Pithing Needle. In case any of you haven't seen it, recommend going to look at it for yourself. But to briefly describe it, it was a technicality loss on naming the wrong Borgamos on a Pithing Needle and losing the, the match. So uh, I think this is a good reminder to... Know your cards, know uh what's going on, but uh I-, I can understand the argument for and against these judges ruling uh in this way. The commentary was great, a uh, very good uh job by Chris Van Meter and the Boz, uh well done, and I thought it was very compelling, really good to listen to those uh to those guys uh commentary commentating this uh, event. And overall the the event was really good. You saw really good diverse meta. Uh, a lot of different decks in the top 32. So what do you guys think? Uh, Richard, did you get to watch any of it?
1: I watched Zero Magic. I don't know what okay. you guys are doing, but it was playoff football, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, <no>. I uh, <laughs> know. Like, how am I supposed to watch any of those? <laughs> I, I, I watched I watched my Chiefs, and that was it. Like, I, and just rooting for specific teams to lose or not lose for the next round. But, uh yeah, playoff football was great. I
2: got, I got a question for you guys. Uh Since you both watch football and Magic, which is worse? Is it worse to lose the finals of an SCG Open because you get sort of technicality rule lawyered out of the game with Python Needle, or you lose because your team misses a 27-yard field goal <laughs> as time expires? Which Which is worse?
0: 27-yard field goal. Oh, I can goal. tell you if you're the kicker, man. Oh. <laughs>
2: Damn. <laughs> his, house, his house must have gotten egged or something. I was <laughs> a dump dump sack. sacked.
1: Dump sacked for sure. Gone down the drain <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Laces were in. I, Laces I, in.
2: I watched a lot of the tournament. I did not actually see the very finals. I watched up through the Pythene Needle, which I think was actually the, the semi finals. But. It was, it, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I think that was, that was Gorio's Vengeance versus, I can't remember, Twin maybe, or in the yeah, semifinals, okay. but it was a good tournament, and there were some sweet decks. The Black White Token deck from Josh Cho was uh fairly innovative, and, I mean, Black White Tokens has been around, but it's definitely been in the lower tiers of the format. It hasn't right. been anywhere near Tier 1, so it was cool to see that break out. And uh Jeff Hooligan came through with his Kiki Core deck for a top eight, and that deck is really sweet. It's like the new Birthing Pod, basically, the toolbox with a lot of different Silver Bullet answers. So it was a pretty sweet tournament. I enjoyed watching it. And the second new announcing team, this was uh, uh, CVM and the Boz, uh, Andrew Boswell, yeah. did a really good job for two new announcers. So I've been super impressed with SCG keeping their quality of their broadcast up, even as they're going through this transition without Patrick Sullivan and Cedric every week.
0: Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Um, in terms of, you know, a, a diverse 32, uh, it's, it's suddenly now interesting to have all these calls of ban, uh, from Titan when it did not top eight, uh, even more interesting that people were calling for this, uh, Eldrazi ban when that didn't show up in the top 32 either. I'm, I'm assuming, you know, those those decks obviously missed this time, but I don't know. I mean, it's not like those decks are going away. Like, it, it's not like they're, again, we talk about the percentage dominance where they're not winning every single tournament. It's just the things that they're able to do. So, I don't know. Uh, it's
1: the Dream Crush deck, right? Like, round three, you sit down, you play, yeah. a, you know, your plan- your opponent plays land go, you play land, and then they just win the game. <laughs> and yeah. then you're out of the tournament and you're like, what? And then they, they fall out later because they didn't get their nut draw. But it's, right. it's just like that. You know, it's the the turn zero, turn one, turn two kills. Like they just knock people out of tournaments and people feel really, really salty because they didn't get their fair shot of playing a game. But, you know, you can't really do anything other than dodge the matchups and you have no control <laughs> yeah. for that, right? So even if the deck doesn't show up, it, it has its presence, right? Like it it, it affected the top 32 my knocking yeah. other people out of the tournament.
0: Yeah. Same thing with the Eldrazi list. I mean, same thing with Tron sometimes. I mean, Trazi mulligans down to four and gets a turn four Ugin. So. <laughs> okay. Any, any one. I mean, it was like legitimately a straight up win. Uh, literally nothing Jeff
2: Ugin could do about it. What, uh, so. What about the, the Grishel Brand or Goryo's Vengeance deck? Like, does that fall into the same category for you guys as Amulet Bloom or is it. Uh, too inconsistent to really be a ban target. Because it can do think, the same kill on turn two, but it doesn't happen as often, I don't think. Yeah.
0: See, I mean, I think, like, the way these bannings should go, like, if you're going to start banning cards like this, like like Amulet Bloom and, and all that to not enable them, you kind of almost have to set a precedence and do it for, like, all these decks. But then you have the, the situation where Richard, and, and it's 100% correct, where then you just have, like, Jund and Twin bouncing off of each other every single tournament. So it's like, you kind of have to leave some... Like, it's a necessary evil for some of the decks, and not so much the other decks. And I think this Goryeo's Vengeance list is the one that they might leave, because it's a little more inconsistent than Bloom Titan.
1: Well, the problem with Bloom Titan is it can attack you from multiple angles, right? If it doesn't turn two kill you, it can sit there on turn eight and kill you as well, right? It can sit there and grind you out with like six primeval titans and you can't do anything about it if you don't have the right graveyard hate or the right you know cards to deal with it so i think it's that multiple attack angle which you know is is really bad it's like having a i don't know like a blue black control deck that can somehow kill you on turn two with some nut draws but otherwise they're fine with just grinding out the game and most decks can't deal with it I, i think that's the problem with bloom titan Whereas I think Gloria's yeah. Vengeance, it's a combo deck. You stop the combo, you're good. They're not going to get to, like, 10 mana and, you know, hard cast their stuff, right? It's not, <laughs> yeah. That's not how it works. But getting to 6 mana and just casting Primeval Titan, you know, getting a Mortuary Mire and, and something else, like, you can just do this forever. And unless you right. find ways to exile everything, you're you're not going to win.
0: Exactly. You have a great point, Richard. It's like, if it's not the Bloom Titan, it's the Hive Mind and a, you know, it's one of the packs, and you lose anyway. It's, it's So, you're right. It has a multiple you know, point of attack. Whereas it's just like any other combo deck, the Goryeo's Vengeance deck, you you, you stop, disrupt the combo.
2: You're going to be pretty much good. I, uh, I do want to yeah, point out so. though that I tweeted this a few days ago, but I think that unless wizards print some sort of force of will, like card, we're just going to be in this position again next year and the year after that. Like people are going to keep making turn two combo decks. The modern format is big enough and has a large enough card pool and new cards are being added that people are going to keep figuring out ways to break the format. Like Amulet Bloom was a horrible bulk rare for a long time and people eventually figured out how to break that card. So we're going to keep having these decks until wizards print some sort of safety valve card that answers these decks and a force of will answers Goryeo's vengeance and bloom titan and like any other turn two combo deck that's going to come up i'm not saying it should be literal force of will because that might make twin too good but some sort of like powerful safety valve card that you can any deck can play or most decks can play to stop these decks like that's the long-term solution or else we're just going to have to keep banning whatever new broken combo people figure out uh next year and the year after that and the year after that yeah
0: yeah absolutely um any kind of last minute things on that because uh, this pretty much segues right into our financial talk.
2: Well, I just want to say, I wouldn't if if I was playing someone and I was playing a deck with Borgamos Enraged, and they <laughs> piping and needled and said Borgamos, I'm not going to call a judge and say, hey, <laughs> I don't think they named the right card. Like, what, the, what if you're
1: playing for like I don't know, five thousand dollars and the chance? Yeah, what if for there's like
2: yeah, a lot of money the on the trophy. line. Uh, honestly, me personally, I just I don't know if I would be able to sleep that night. I because I know what my opponent's yeah. intent was. I if my opponent uh, played a piping needle on splinter twin and didn't say deceiver Arc, which is what you would need to name to stop the combo i would have no problem with that that's a misplay in not understanding the game for me this situation seems yeah. really like a technicality and borderline on like rules lawyering to try to sneak out a win and i just want yeah, yeah. to yeah exactly. it's that like personally.
1: when you cavern of souls and you name the wrong creature type because you don't know what your creatures are it's like no i don't I, it's I your think cards it's right little, you should know exactly no, how it works
0: I, I would set this one. I don't think it's just like that. I think it's a little different. Like, it's not just naming a creature type. It's naming a specific card, and the two of you are sitting down. You have each other. It's, it's even worse because you have each other's deck list. So, actually, that argument can go both ways. It's even worse that because you actually know which one it is. But I think I'm. I, sometimes maybe it's just me. I don't know. Maybe if there's a lot of money on the line, I don't know what I would do. But I would try to be, like, as good of an opponent as I could. And I think I would understand that he's naming the Bore Borgimos in my deck. And that's the one he's naming. Well, I mean, so we, I don't know if... I would...
1: know what he really that's not Ninety-nine, question. The question I, is, would you use that advantage advantage you and take you know, take advantage of it?
0: I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I would want to win on a technicality. Given like
1: that. that these are, you know, quote-unquote pro players at, you know, the top eight of something, right? Like, if you tap Mana wrong, or if you you know forgot to cast something before declare attackers would you let them take it back
0: i think think it's it's kind kind of like this
1: right like if it's fnm yeah we'll take it back right but if we're playing high stakes magic like it's your problem right like part of magic is being sharp for 12 hours straight that's how you win an scg yeah
0: i guess it would just soil the win for me a little bit it really would i i I don't like to win like that hey
1: if you're the seahawks would you take a 27 yard shank
0: I think it is a weird you know I mean, does. they took it. They, of course they did, but yeah. Uh, That's kind of the
1: same thing, right? Like, it's in the bag. It's like a chip shot. Yeah. Uh,
2: I don't know. Happened. And, and just to be clear, I don't think, uh, I think it was Bob Hang, whatever you say his name. I don't think he did anything wrong, like per no. se, but me, I, so I'm not saying he did anything wrong. He was perfectly within his rights to do that. I'm just saying that me personally, with my personality, I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that. So he didn't do anything wrong, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that if I'm, I was in that situation. Yeah. I'm
0: a very competitive person. So I think it would be, I guess a, <laughs> like a, you're right, Richard. Like how high are the stakes? Like maybe at an SCG final, I don't know, but if it was like a pro tour win on the line, all the accolades, all that, I think I would call the judge. <laughs> like maybe it's like, it's, it has to be like the, the, the pinnacle for me to be able to win on that level. I don't know if like at SCG. Yeah. Will I mean, win.
1: I I would so like at FNM I let people take back moves to kill me that game, right? right. right. I would win yeah. otherwise, but at something like SCG, like especially in the top eight, I would not let them. I, I think and, I would call the. I think I would do what they did and just call the judge and judge. This is what happened. What do you? What is the right result of this? Well, obviously. It would what happened, no, yeah, but, but I was, was yeah. just like, "This is how the rules work." I'm sorry, right? Like, assume this is yeah. Moto. You misclicked, <laughs>
0: right? Oh God! <laughs> don't even get me started on that. I don't. But uh, congratulations, I hope
1: I in the finals yeah. of the Pro Tour. So that I make my <laughs> inevitable blunder. He lets me take back
0: <laughs> commentary. Oh, is he giving him a take Yeah. I, I from what I from what I heard Jeff Hoogland say, the top eight did not split. So maybe that's why he did call it, but I think if maybe they would have split, I, I think it would have been a little more liberal and, and not had to call the judge over for that because 100% of people, everyone watching, the two of them definitely knew and everyone around them knew like what his intent was. But I, I mean it is it is part of the rules. You have to know what you're talking about So and, and perfectly articulate that. Unfortunately, he named some card in in, in Guild Pack and it uh, <laughs> didn't do anything. I just it was like, so, my
1: sideboard check, no, really. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it, it would help. have been funny if there was an actual one copy of the Guild Pack version and that was actually it and he got it, but no. Uh, you get the same problem that with deck rage,
1: too. If you rage for Borgamos instead of for Borgamos in Rage, you, you would get uh, a game loss. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, someone. Um, Someone suggested that the deck should start playing one copy of the Guild Pack version in the sideboard just to (laughs) intentionally create this ambiguity with Python Needle. Yes. To pick up some free wins, yeah.
0: Yeah. It's a sideboard card loss because that thing is never getting played in any kind of capacity, but it's just terrible.
1: You guys don't play enough Legacy. This was like a legitimate strategy, like when uh, Spirit of the Labyrinth came out. That's the card where you can't, players can't draw more than one card per turn. You just slap that down and wait for the other guy to get a game loss. (laughs)
0: Like, they brainstorm,
1: (laughs) draw two cards, call a judge game loss. (laughs) Like That that was, like, a legitimate strategy. Oh, man. Because, like, you're not used to it, and there are certain mistakes in magic that are very severe and result in a game loss, and drawing cards.
0: (laughs) I'm—I'm definitely one of them, yeah.
2: I'm wondering how my uh, tendency to mispronounce card names interacts with Python Needle. (laughs) <laughs> like, if I say Sierra Angel, <laughs> just, just, what happens? <laughs> this would be hilarious. I think you lose. <laughs> I think you lose. <laughs>
0: oh. oh, man. That would be interesting. That would be interesting. Um, you have to call it write it down.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> they see Sierra Angel, like, literally written down. They're like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, moving along, so, Seth, uh, we looked at, you know, the crew here, we looked at uh, Charlotte, but... And we all kind of are in the finance community somewhat, uh, and we, we do follow that. So, and we've talked about this a lot on the cast. So, uh, modern always has a large financial, uh, implication into the community. And we've seen a lot of people, uh, not to name names, uh, <laughs> uh get upset. No, but like legitly and understandably get upset about all these recent price increases, uh, drastic price increases, uh, I should add. And I think it, it's good that we should talk about this a little bit because, you know, we could talk about this a lot over social media. We we have talked about this in the past. We've talked about this, like, a lot. So I just want to be able to touch on this again. And for a lot of people, it, it brings a lot of bad taste into players' mouths when suddenly these cards are now twenty dollars extra than you know they should have been or not maybe not should have been but they were you know i have ugin al temple uh, all these cards so i just want to get like your overall thoughts on this and and i really want to discuss this with both of you uh about this this negative connotation on the finance community quote-unquote uh and just the cost of the game and just finance in general so uh go ahead seth
2: Oh, man, this is a yeah. this is a pretty big topic, and I'm not yeah. exactly sure where to start. Uh, so we've seen a lot of price increases recently, and it's understandable that people would be upset when a card suddenly doubles in price uh, seemingly out of nowhere. I get that. From a player's perspective, that's a bad thing. It makes it harder to have the cards you need and put together the decks that you want, so I definitely get that. Um, Where I run into a problem is a lot of people that are mad about this end up blaming it on MTG Finance uh, as some weird homogenous group of people. Um, which is, is kind of faulty in two ways. For one thing, some of these price increases have nothing to do with MTG Finance. Like El uh, Eldrazi Temple, all of a sudden there was this deck that was not even a deck that became like the newest, hottest thing. I know I myself went out and bought the cards for this deck because it looked really sweet and I wanted to play it, and I'm sure there was a ton of other people that did that. And that drove the prices up. Like, that's going to happen. There's nothing you can do about that. So, blaming stuff like that on MTG Finance to me seems faulty right on its face. And the other thing is, MTG Finance isn't a homogenous community. There are a few people out there who are going to buy hundreds of copies of a card to try to corner the market and raise prices, but there's a lot of people who are trying to make the game cheaper and more affordable by passing on the knowledge they've learned about MTG Finance over their years of dealing with cards and card prices. So. So it bothers me when MTG Finance gets blamed for these problems because, first of all, MTG Finance isn't a thing. There's a whole bunch of people that are have different levels of interest in MTG Finance and card prices. And secondly, it's not always the financial community. Sometimes it's the players, like with the Eldrazi deck.
0: I think that was well said, and I think that's like... You know, again, you're right. It's a huge topic, and I think that's really w- what I would say too to the people that are uh, complain like rightfully so, complaining uh, and and upset about stuff like this and when it happens. Uh, I want to get your take, though, Richard.
1: Yeah, I agree with Seth. Uh, there's not like the MTG Finance Illuminati sitting in the corner, you know, plotting things, right? There, there are some groups of people that do malicious things, and there are some people that do good things. Uh, but I I think the problem exists though, right? You People are just not blaming the right people. The problem is the financials of the game. The fact that cards spike crazily in response to stuff, whether it be real demand or buyouts uh, is causing problems for people who want to just play the game, right? A lot of people don't want it to be a collectible card game. They just want it to be a game uh, where you pluck down some money and you can play without worrying about, you know, whether the price of a card goes up or down or whatnot, uh, yeah. so uh, I empathize with those people that's that's where I follow on this argument I I don't like magic being a collectible card game uh, but the fact is it is and we kind of have to deal with it and uh, I don't know what we could do to fix this it's kind of in wizard's hands like you can't just tell people oh you know when when a card is low or you think it's gonna spike don't buy it right Like you can't tell people that you can't control people so mm. the only thing is for wizards to Print sufficient supplies so that this doesn't happen, right? Even if you wanted to buy out all the cards, uh, you couldn't, and you would just be padding Wizards' pockets. So yeah. that's where I kind of fall on this.
0: <sighs> this goes way deeper too, and, and 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 thank. And that was a great take, Richard, and I and I agree, and, and I empathize and sympathize on some level with with people too, because I've played the game since I was younger. Uh, I keep saying that, and to me, there was always this kind of journey, and like, I didn't start playing, maybe because it was just not something I was always thinking about, and obviously I wasn't, I mean, I was like 13, 14, like 14, 15 years old, and then, you know, as I got older, and as I kept playing the game, it started to become a an issue of cost, and that's always been part of the game, and I don't understand, like, why, yes, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to just sit here and, and say that the cost of the game has substantially gone up and card price increases has substantially uh gone up as well and, and more rapidly than it has in the past. But that being said, it's always been a part of the game. The game has been around for a very long time. And I would say it's the most successful trading card game on earth. And, it's because people love playing the game and continue to love playing the game, and a lot of the people that have played back then are now older now and they continue like playing the game, that we're now suddenly at this point where we're all older now, we all have more disposable income to, to play and, and, and pay for the game and, and pay for cards and, and spend on the game, and this is now suddenly a, a larger game than it was in the past. It wasn't some demonic game that people were playing at lunchtime. And, you know, people were, you know, outcasted and called like Satanists and stuff like that, which, uh, you know, was actually a thing back then. But that's uh, that's neither here nor there. I I just you're right, Seth. Uh, There are people that do malicious things. They mostly are nameless. You know, you're not going to be able to pick them out. Uh, You know, some people do tend to uh, push their own agenda. And I think people can make the distinction for themselves. But there's also, and, and you're right, and you do take it a little personally, and some people do too, and rightfully so, because, you know, you, we are kind of associated with that, that term, MTG Finance, and some people are legitly out there to help other people continue to play for the game, and point out trends, and you're right, for people that have played the game for a very long time, and kind of just know how these things go, and, and know how these things could play out, and, you know, when a, a set like Modern Masters 2015 comes out and reprints a card like Spellskite, you know, everyone was saying, you know, take the opportunity to buy them then. But you're right, Richard. We can't force people to do it. People can't buy every single card. And, you know, obviously they they figure, oh, well, the card's now $10 now, so it'll be $10 forever. Then you realize Spellskite's one of the most played cards in Modern, and you have all these people telling you, get it while you can. And people don't do it. And then suddenly we're in this position. So it's like a huge vicious, vicious cycle. And honestly, I don't really know what to tell people. Um, I always, you know, understand that cost has been a part of the game. You know, Sigmund was, uh, nice enough to, you know, uh, scan, give me scan copies of Inquest magazine for everyone out there that remembers Inquest magazine and scry or whatever. And that was our price guide. Like, there was no, like, TCG player and all these different options and, and finance sites and finance people and just people in general that had a huge interest in this side of the game uh, to tell you that, oh, yeah, don't buy uh, Spiritmonger at $15. You're, you know, it won't be in standard forever. If you want to play Magic and you want to play Spiritmonger, you paid the money. So I don't know. That's just kind of where I come from. I've been a long time. Uh, player, and, and, and I can really empathize and sympathize on some level. I can't solely push it back on, uh, Wizards of the Coast either because... It's totally different than it was back then. People weren't expecting uh, modern event decks and Modern Masters 2015 and and all these cards to add all these different reprints into the game. We kind of just took it as they com- as they came, and we're thankful that it happened. You know, we didn't buy twenty five dollar uh, Umazawa's Gte, You know, thinking, oh, this is you know, we're not going to pay it because there's going to be a reprint, or you know, they should need they need to reprint this card now. You know, it just was—it was just a different thing back then, and and in some ways, it's a lot better now than it was, uh, has been. But does, can it improve? Absolutely.
2: I I think that when it comes down to it, um, unless you are independently wealthy to the or make enough money to the point where you just really don't care, like there's really yeah. no difference between a thirty dollar Ayavugan and a five dollar Ayavugan to you, you can buy it anyway. If you're not in the small percentage of magic players that are in that position. I really think you have two choices. One is you play casually uh, because these price spikes really don't affect that. You can play EDH, play on your kitchen table. Yeah. But if you want to play competitively and you are on some type of budget, you don't have enough money to just buy any card you want, you basically have to, even if you don't want to be, involve yourself to some small percentage with MTG Finance. Like, that is how you are able to maintain a competitive collection and play tournaments. You have to spend some small percentage of your Magic time uh, paying attention to articles and different things, uh, rotational cycles and when new sets are released and when reprints come out. That's just what you have to do at this point. Unless you have so much money you don't care... Basically, you have to be somewhat involved in MTG finance, whether you like it or not. That's how you stay in the game. And,
0: and, absolutely. And this isn't something that, like, just happened. Like, this has been a part of the game for a long time. I mean, this is not just, like, you know, yesterday, now we're saying, like, you should be up on to date with, with prices and rotations and stuff like that. It's been going on for a while now. So, I, I, I don't, I just, there's a disconnect there, and I don't understand, like, I, yes, I can. Again, I understand. It's understandable. But at the same time, it's like there's a lot of literature and a lot of people out there that devote a lot of time to doing this. And, you know, just from playing the game long enough, you do you should develop some of these awarenesses to these cards and and to price uh, and to their prices. It's just a necessity.
1: There was a time to buy Spellskites. Right. But suppose you didn't need Spellskite for your deck. Right, You would have still need to, you know, forked over $40, $80 for a play set of Spellskites just to sit there so that, you know, today when you wanted to play Spellskite deck, you can actually play it. And that's just one card, right? So in order to insulate yourself from all these spikes, you basically need a collection of all modern staples, which is a ton of money yeah, uh, so that you cannot be affected by these spikes, you know, in the future. Like you needed to sit on a set of Inquisition of Kozileks, right? They were seven bucks before I think, so that'd be like thirty bucks, right? Today they're a hundred, so you would save yourself seventy dollars, but you needed that thirty dollars a year ago tied up in Inquisitions. And if you don't use them for your deck, they're just sitting there. So you need a fairly substantial collection sitting around to kind of, you know, take all the wisdom of this, right? But if you're, you know, someone who can't afford to pay the spike, you probably couldn't afford to keep that big collection around to begin with. So it's kind of like a catch twenty two and that is kind of the kind of the finance problem here, right? Not yeah, really MTG finance, but just the game is expensive. And right, prices go right. all over the place. Like, how do I actually play this game?
0: Well, I, I mean, my retort to that is, is um, if you didn't need the Spellskites back then, why do you suddenly need them now? I oh, mean, you know, this is assuming... right? <laughs> You want right, okay, so, no, 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 no. to play okay, a new deck, right? You've been playing a deck for a year, time to so, buy a new deck. Right, so that's what I wanted. So, th- so then suddenly, so who's really complaining? So then who's, or not really complaining, but who's really upset here? The people that want to play the hottest deck in modern? deck the, the person that wants to have five or ten modern decks like who's really getting affected here because for me ten dollar uh inquisition of kozilek's or twenty five dollar inquisition or kozilek's or even fifty dollar inquisition of kozilek's doesn't affect me i have my one modern deck i have affinity and on the flip side i don't care if my deck is worth a thousand dollars or two hundred dollars because I have the deck that I play, so is it for the people that are just, they feel the need that they have uh, an entitlement to play whatever deck they want in Modern, and is that, you know, where the argument is now coming from? Do we feel that every deck at all times to every player should be accessible, or only some cards, or all cards? So that's – I'm now getting mixed up into that because if someone wants to play Modern, it should be similar to Legacy. How many Legacy decks do you own, Richard, or or the, the average Legacy owner? Do they own every single deck in Legacy? So should every Legacy deck be suddenly like $200? So maybe you should approach Modern as a Modern Legacy and pick and choose what cards you will definitely play and what cards you won't be playing. Well, that's true,
1: right? Like, I mean, in reality, you can only have one or two modern decks unless you're insanely rich. Same with Legacy, but it detracts from the game, right? Your, your enjoyment in the game would be much greater if you could play, right. you know, one of eight decks at F&M, right? You had the choice to switch between decks. You had the choice to experience other things, right? It'd be cool if next week I could play Bloom Titan, the week after I could play Jund, the week after I could play something else, but the finance of the game kind of restricts that. Right. So, am I entitled to that? No, right. But it, I think it would be much a much more enjoyable experience if you could do that, right? Which is why but then what budget decks, right? You're like, oh, 20 yeah. bucks, I can try an entire new deck, right. an entire new way of playing, and kind of just swap through them without you know breaking the yeah. bank every time.
0: Yeah, and 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 that goes into uh you know, someone like Seth and other people, myself, and a lot of other people put out those uh you know, we're we're not just in it for dollar signs, like, and and you could definitely point out people. Like I said, you, you you want to demonize the finance community and all that, but there's some people out there that legitimately put a good amount of effort into helping people, you know, and it's not just a bottom line of dollar signs to, you know, purchase these cards and let the, them – Be able to continue playing the game, whether it be budget lists, like you, you put out, Seth, um, and all the articles on the website, Richard, and, and this podcast and, you know, just all this writing. There's a lot of it out there. Some people, like you said, uh, you know, aren't as helpful and, you know, push their own agenda and will go out there and buy, you know, a hundred copies of X, whatever, and try to hype the card. And I think, uh, you know, people can make that distinction for themselves, but you're, you're right, Richard, but what, but what, Maybe I don't know because I don't play Hearthstone as much as other people. I don't. Pl- I haven't played Yu Gi Oh. I don't play like any of those other card games. Are any of those card games just as accessible? Because you know, can you at some point play every kind of deck in, in Hearthstone? Wouldn't that still end up costing a lot of money too? Or is you know, we we talked about this the the psychology of what's what's budget and what are people willing to accept as you know reasonable to pay. Uh, to into a Hearthstone account and be able to play every card. Yeah.
1: You know So, like, so the what, thing that, that makes Hearthstone like special is it's not yeah. free, really. You still need to you know pay some amount of money to get enough legendaries, but they're all the same price, you know, meaning that one mythic is the same price of another mythic, no matter how good or bad it is, and that uh, makes some consistency, right? There's no such thing as oh, this is the new hot deck, and tomorrow this thing is like crazy expensive. Right, yeah. so that's how Hearthstone mitigates it. I know other games like Force of Will; they just print a lot of their stuff in supplemental products. Like they reprint their dual lands into the ground. They have like a first edition foil, which is like the blinged out version, and then they have the regular crappy version, which they print into the ground. So they just print those things into the ground. Yu Gi Oh prints cards into the ground so much that yep. they're worth nothing. Uh, that in itself causes a problem. So there there are ways around it, but Magic Stances it's a collectible tradable card game or whatever. Yeah. Meaning your cards must maintain value. And because they maintain value and there is a randomness, i.e. opening booster packs, uh, things will spike up and down. Right? And that's kind of just the model that Wizards has taken. And they're kind of trying to control the spikes with reprintings, but they'll always happen. Right. And that's yeah that's part that of the always appeal, has right? happened. Appeal is opening a pack of Modern Masters and opening a foil goyf. Right? They they want that, right? There is some yeah. appeal to that. But to get that to work, you need a five hundred dollar card. Yeah. Right. So that's just kind of how magic is. And that's the direction Wizards has decided to go. Yeah. But I don't know. It, it causes problems. But, you know, back to our original point, to blame it on one group of people is a bit ambitious. I, I don't think that's how it works. Uh. But, yeah. you know, there, there is some kind of problem with the price of the game. Right. Whether we have live with it the entire time or we've accepted it or not, it, it's still an expensive game. Right.
0: Absolutely. And it's way more expensive than it used to be. I, I can definitely accept that as well. Uh, but it, it costs has always been a part of the game and, and you said it uh, very great points, Richard. And, uh, is there room for improvement? Absolutely. Can they somehow work in more reprints and, and, maybe not more reprints, but just smarter reprints, like leaving out Inquisition of Kozalek in Modern Masters 2015 probably wouldn't have destroyed or, uh you know, pushed the EV of a box too high that it would have been egregious. You know, it's just little things like that that suddenly now is causing an issue. And are you going to be able to stop all of it? No, you can't stop every single fire. But Can you mitigate a lot of them by, you know, having smarter reprints and and making sure to include some of them into a higher volume print run? Absolutely you can Um, because um – I don't know. Uh, they, they talked about having more aggressive reprints in these. I'm pretty sure Marrow said this. I don't know who exactly said this. I've seen the statement that they're going to have more aggressive reprints in these two block cadences. One set or one block, this, this new cadence has come and gone and there weren't really any high impactful reprints, uh, in there. So I don't know if they even should do it, uh, that way. I, I'm not for the put high, uh, high powered modern cards into standard. Um, I'm really enjoyed what you said, uh, Seth. And uh, something that we've really talked about on this cast is utilize the supplemental product that you already have in Commander and stuff like that that are high volume uh, print runs to mitigate some of this stuff.
2: Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. And I just had two quick points on things we were talking about. One is if you are the kind of player who wants to cycle through a bunch of decks. Do yourself a favor and check out Magic Online. It is super cheap and efficient to switch from one deck to another without losing much value. So if you're trying to figure out what deck you want to build in the paper world... It's a great place to invest a few hundred dollars and be able to cycle through every tier deck in modern, basically, without losing much value and figure out which one you want to build as, like, your affinity deck, Chaz, your one modern deck that you're going to have for always and forever to play in the paper world. So consider that as an option. And as, as far as Inquisition of Kozilek being $30, we have to remember, too, that in some ways this is good for Wizards. Like, they have competing factors that they need to balance like on one hand having a pissed off player base isn't necessarily good for wizards on the other hand at 30 bucks they can take any crappy set and put inquisition of kozilek in there and sell a million boxes so (laughs) so like they have to weigh these two things and not let the player base get too pissed off but still they want to take advantage of these high-priced cards because it's great for them to sell sealed product
0: yeah reprint
2: equity that i mean we always go back to that um,
0: but yeah, I mean, it's, I, I understand there's a lot of negative, uh, you know, views on this and a lot of people are upset and, and, and understandably seems like we, you know, go through these ebbs and flows where, you know, things are okay. And then you have stuff like this, but you know, modern is cyclical. Like it's seasonal, like this stuff happens. It was coming down the pipeline, like six months ago when you had modern masters just coming out and you were able to pick up some of these cards on the cheap. If you... You're right, Richard. Maybe you can't buy every single card, but if, if it was a card that you had an inclination that you were going to play at some point, maybe not at that juncture, but. Sometime in the future, you should have grabbed them and maybe, you know, start stockpiling yourself a little, you know, collection of modern. Or, yeah, you you go about it that you, you stick to a couple, very strict couple of decks, and that's it. I mean, unless you're like a huge tournament GP grinder or pro tour invited to the pro tour every single year. I mean, what are you really, what do you need all these modern decks for, for FNM? Like, I can take my affinity deck to an FNM and be competitive in any single FNM that I want so I mean even even a larger tournament. Uh, so there are competitive decks that you can s- buy and sit on and enjoy and play Modern, and you don't have to care where you know $35 acquisitions or $60 Oriok Champions and stuff like that. You really literally don't get affected by that. Is it the most ideal? Probably not. Is it the most fun? Maybe not. But you have a deck that you can go and say, hey, you know what? I'm getting my value out of this deck. I get to play Modern anytime I want. And really isn't that what it comes down to? So I don't know. I mean, you, I, I would love for these people to tell me, like, what is it really that is the, the huge issue here? Because I was never, you know, gr- when I was playing the game growing up, I was never able to easily jump from deck to deck to deck. It certainly wasn't easy back then. I wasn't able to play Mirari's Wake. You know, I wasn't, I was only able to play like X decks. Like, there were definitely like costs. Uh, that have affected this game and from for some people uh, from some people's perspective and you know mine included and it's part of what has kept the game going a long time is that you know there's trust in this brand and that your cards aren't going to be worthless like Yu-Gi-Oh or any of these other uh, you know trading card games that are quite frankly not as good as Magic the Gathering. That's that's my whole thing. Sorry if that was like really a rant, but I I really thought we should touch on this, and it, it's becoming a larger and larger problem. And 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 I always like I always want to talk about it. And uh, again, I understand that people are upset, but you know that's just it, it's part of the game, and it's always has been a part of the game. It always will be a part of the game, and it would behoove you to you know start becoming more aware of this side of the game. Like, like you said, Seth, it's, you said it perfectly. Like, you should be able to maybe not sit down and study it for a year or something like that, but start just noticing, like, rotational trends and, and, and seasons and stuff like that. I certainly had to. You certainly had to. Richard certainly had to. Everyone has to at some point.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. I think – I think that that's just what you have to do if you want to maintain that kind of collection. I don't think you really have, a, have an option at this point.
1: Playing those all-proxy tournaments? Oh, wait.
0: <laughs> 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 we'll, rent out a, we'll rent out a space, Richard. We'll all just start taking our proxied modern decks, and uh, you know we won't, we won't uh, sanction them. <laughs> we'll all fly out there and just start playing proxied uh, modern and vintage and legacy, whatever we want. Okay. Uh, any kind of final thoughts on that? I, I think, you know, there, there was a lot to talk about there. And I, I think a lot of the ideas are, are out there. Obviously, this is a, a dialogue that we will continue to have going forward. We're happy to answer any more additional questions. Yeah. I mean, it's part of the game. I mean, when it all comes down to it and I understand it's frustrating, but there, there are ways to navigate either through it or around it. You know, they might not be the best and, and most ideal solution, but they are out there. Take a look at uh Seth's deck lists every week. I mean, there people are out there putting the effort in. So, uh, I think we have some fish mail. Uh Richard, let's let's go through them to wrap things up. Uh alright. Let me pull up
1: the fish mail here.
0: So at twit
1: Phoenix two zero six three. That's an interesting name. With no <laughs> reprint for standard. Uh let me paraphrase this. Okay, Linvala, Keeper of Silence. Her absence in From the Vault Angels and no reprint in Standard given the new Linvala. Uh, what, is, what is your expectation for her?
0: Hmm. Well, I it doesn't see as much play as it used to because it was a really like a mainstay in Birthing Pod. It does still see some play, but yeah, without any reprints, uh, I don't expect it to go down anytime soon. If people need them and want them for whatever reason... I mean there's only going to get there's only going to be less and less supply of them.
2: Yeah, I don't think it's the type of card that's uh likely to undergo a huge spike um at this point But I wouldn't expect it to drop in value either. So if you're looking to get a couple copies that you need for a deck or something, I think you're safe to do that. But as far as uh, trying to invest in it and expecting it to spike up to $70 or something, uh, it doesn't really seem to be that type of card. It just doesn't have a place in the format anymore as much as it did. Because not only is it not in Birthing Pod, but it no longer is shutting down a lot of the creatures from Birthing Pod decks. Uh, Just it doesn't fight the format the way it used to.
1: Yeah. Uh, Richard? All right, from at random, KeHo Kim H. Uh, it occurred to me now. Where does the name MTG Goldfish come from? Hashtag not MTG finance.
0: Well, <laughs> well, when a boy fish and a girl fish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's that's all you, Richard. Uh, I, how did uh, MTG Goldfish come out? I, I don't
1: remember, but I'll, I'll tell you that the original name. And it still is of the site was Liliana. <laughs> Cause I'm like, Oh, Liliana's a veil. So good. This was before she was like a hundred dollar card. But I'm like, well, we better have like a legit name. And I think I was just thinking of Magic the Gathering terms that sounded cool and goldfishing was, uh, something that, you know, sounded cool. So I'm like, okay, MTG goldfish. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't want something boring like MTG decks or MTG prices or something like that. So well, that's where the goldfish came from.
0: Gotcha. Well done. Yeah, it's a good name. Uh,
1: from at down grab underscore fair, William B., <laughs> do you think Tangolands will copy what Innistrad block did with Buddylands and have, uh, URGPUGWR? Okay, so basically the enemies, uh, in Shadows Over Innistrad.
2: Um, so more first Tangle off, <laughs> first off, don't call them Tangolands. <laughs> um <laughs> yes please. any anything but that um i I have no idea honestly, I think there's a reasonable chance that it is an unfinished cycle, uh, which is how the Innistrad land is yeah. sort of or not the Innistrad lands, the, the uh, scars lands were, um, yes, I guess there's a chance that they show up in Innistrad, but I'm leaning towards it just being a five card cycle at this point, And maybe years down the road, they finish it and, uh, return to return to battle for Zendikar.
0: <laughs> the final return, <laughs> return battle for Zendikar. No, I, I, I think you're right. I, it would be interesting if they finish the cycle in Innistrad. Uh, I know they are, you know, a lot, there's a lot of speculation that the storyline is kind of spilling over. So I don't know how that's going to work, but, um, it would be interesting if that was the Innistrad land cycle, uh, instead of the, the old, um, the Czech lands. Although I would love the Czech lands. Uh, I think that would be a, a better land cycle to have, uh, reprinted again. And because it just makes sense with the tank, uh, the, oh my god. Yes. <laughs> the battle, the battle lands, the BFZ lands. Uh. So they, so. they absolutely
1: need to do it because the scars of Mirrodin lands, like, drive me crazy. The fast lands where they're only available for certain colors. Yeah. Like, hurts me so much whenever I try to build a modern mana base. So they, <laughs> they better put the rest of the battle lands and shadows over in Plus they said something about, you know, no incomplete cycles, right? I don't
0: know. They have a lot of them then that they need to uh, go back and uh, revisit then. Uh, but,
1: yeah, I think we have one more. Yep. at Tom Sizzler, maybe. I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right. Uh, so how should Wizards reprint modern cards? Between two modern masters, <laughs> I counted about 60 playables generously. Uh between two Modern Masters in four years, so in four years they've reprinted sixty playables, quote unquote playables. What do you guys think?
0: Yeah, uh, I, he's not wrong, or or, or the, the the submitter is not wrong. I think there's plenty of opportunities to reprint these cards, and we've all we've discussed them in this cast. We've discussed them in the past. Um, yeah, so everything we we pretty much uh, touched upon. I mean, you got supplemental product that comes out, these these dual decks, these uh, you know whatever either either planeswalker or tribal whatever uh you have the regular sets that come out uh even though i don't think that's the best avenue to reprint high-powered modern cards you have commander product uh you have a space where you know they had a, a spot for this conspiracy type set that i think is a great spot and i think was a huge missed opportunity on a lot of stuff And I think they should just get smarter at reprinting stuff in Modern Masters. I mean, uh, we talked about this, uh, set. They do a really good job at trying to balance the EV and not having it, you know, much higher than, you know, what is in there. And, but, but I think a couple of these cards, even at like the uncommon level, would be, would be good. And maybe more downgrades are needed. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of avenues to go.
2: Yeah, I agree. There's there's plenty of places to reprint these cards. It's just a matter of uh, doing it just and doing continuing it. Yeah, exactly. to do it. And I think some of them are safe for standard. I think it's a, a matter of figuring out. Uh, just because it's a mod- modern staple doesn't mean it's necessarily too powerful for standard. Uh, so I hope we see some in standard sets, but it is important to pick and choose because we've seen... Recently, like Thoughtseize, definitely ended up being borderline too powerful. If it wasn't too powerful, and the combination of Fetchlands and the BFC duels is definitely wreaking havoc on yeah. Standard. So, so I think we can reprint some in Standard if we're smart about it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Smarter and 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 just I, I don't know. Like I, at first, I was like good, like happy that they were gonna keep doing that and like just to keep the costs down and 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 add cards like like Scavenging Ooze and and Urborg and stuff like that. But then you have this instance where, I mean, you're going to have these reprints and maybe some of them never even see play, so then what's really the point of doing it? Like, you're just going to have a card take up a slot and then just literally do nothing while it's in Standard just so it gets reprinted? I mean, I don't know. I think there's better ways and smarter ways to go about it. But, I mean, not to say they should stop and they likely won't stop reprinting this stuff through Standard, but... I mean, then they definitely have to be smarter about it, because like you said, Seth, I mean, stuff like Thoughtseize and the entire Fetchland cycle, you know, going through the crack is wreaking havoc on Standard, and just makes it not fun, because these cards are powerful. What do you think, Richard?
1: Yes. <laughs> Reprint <laughs> cards. I was actually trying to see, uh, what if they printed, like, a legit deck? Like, you know, you know how they're, like, <laughs> yeah. event decks are kind of just yes. watered down decks? Yes. But then I figured this would never fly, because you're like, here, buy Twin, $800. That's at a fifty percent discount, by the way. <laughs> so they, they can't. They can't. But I was thinking, like maybe a two hundred dollar deck that was a real deck that contained some staples in it and was a fully functional modern deck. But there are no decks. The closest would be that Bloom at five hundred.
0: <laughs> yeah, and so, uh,
1: modern next Masters, week
0: uh, the deck is no more than uh, <laughs> it's a moot point.
1: So, <laughs> no, but I agree. Yeah, I I don't
0: think... know. I, yeah.
1: sorry, I thought. I really want them to say, like, here's Jund or something in a box, <laughs> something that you could go buy Jund and it would be really cheap, well, relatively cheap, but the price is way too high. They don't want products with $500 price tags uh, on the shelf. Well, I mean, if,
0: if they printed enough of them, wouldn't, you know, maybe it might start out high, but wouldn't that kind of even out? I mean, if they had a large print run, but then we're talking, with, then we're basically getting back into, like, Chronicles type stuff. Yeah,
1: exactly. I mean, do the you really little... just
0: want to, like, hand out decks? Maybe I don't know. Maybe if there's that one deck that you know everyone has access to, maybe that helps.
1: Yeah, like I think Merfolk could be a candidate for this. Or
0: affinity or something like that. You yeah. would like
1: drop the price of Vile a lot, and you could have like a two hundred dollar deck or something, or maybe even a hundred dollar deck with some room for upgrades. But it would be, uh, you know, a very good entry point. But yes. the problem is, fish doesn't have doesn't share many staples.
0: So the right hope
1: was it would share a lot of staples with the existing decks so that it would drop you know everything down but uh you know dropping the price of lord of atlantis or something doesn't really help
0: <laughs> yeah no no i mean you're, you're right but i think some you're on to something there and and not having i mean we haven't had a uh, an announcement yet so i'm i'm assuming we're not going to get one there's no modern event deck this this year this coming year so i mean to not have that is i think is a a missed opportunity.
1: Are we not getting, we haven't had one in a long time.
0: Yeah, we haven't had one in a while. So I, like I said, I mean, I think these are just missed opportunities Uh and they just keep going by. And I think you're definitely onto something there, Richard, whether it's, maybe it's a, 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 a you're right. A deck that has room for upgrade, or maybe it's just a list of just like a pack of cards. Like, you know, they, they had those, uh those foil packs of like a Lara reborn or something like that. Maybe it's like a big box and you get one of like, a certain amount of stuff, and then the year after, it's something else.
1: Just mo- modern deck builder toolkit, $1,000. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Comes with a playset
1: go. of yeah. Goish, a playset of Snapcasters.
0: <laughs> I mean, there you go. You print enough the of those? <laughs> damn, <laughs> you're good. I mean, even at $1,000, I think if you print enough of them, I think that would uh, force enough uh, – force feed enough uh, copies of cards into the wild. That's all, like, but hey, I mean, it's something, you know, the, those are solutions, you know, wizards has to take a stance and make something actionable, you know, like they have to be able to do something. So, I, there's definitely uh, opportunities there, but uh, I, I think that's it for the fish mail, right? That's all our fish mail this week. Sweet. Well, I think we covered everything, gentlemen. Is there anything uh, out the door that we want to talk about?
1: Uh, we should mention the time yes. and place for the 52nd episode.
0: Yes. The time and place, uh, 7.30 EST, and it's going to be live-streamed on YouTube, and we have a good show lined up. We have a lot of interesting stuff to do. It's just going to be live. We're going to have people on. uh, We're going to be taking questions live. It's going to be a good time, and I'm really looking forward to it, and I think it's going to be awesome. So Tuesday,
1: January 19th, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Details will be on the website and on Twitter and stuff, but it will be on our YouTube channel.
0: Yes, live stream. So I think it's going to be fun, and uh, we have some good things lined up. Um Yeah, I, I think we covered everything. Out the door, we had uh, Oath of the Watch fully spoiled. Quick final thoughts on that. Uh,
1: Richard? Uh, Seems pretty powerful. There are a lot of really good rares and uncommons, so I, I think yes. we'll actually see an impact in the other formats. Yes. I, I've read some things about Warping Whale and Goblins and Legacy, and I'm very curious <laughs> if this is actually a thing, <laughs> because... I like my tribal decks and I want to play one in Legacy. Yeah.
0: You had a lead on, uh, Hedron alignment too, didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) Oh
1: oh yeah. We, we, we saw, after we did our cast last week, I dug up, you know, I went to Reddit and I saw many people breaking Hedron alignment in uh, Legacy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you're, you're remaining optimistic.
1: Against the odds, we can do it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What, what are your, what's your, uh, what's your take on the full spoiler?
2: Um, it, it's much better than Battle for Zendikar.
0: <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. So yeah. It's yeah.
2: Still, it still feels awkward that they're in the same block with each other, and I still yes. don't like the anti-synergies between the two sets, which is kind of awkward, but just as a standalone set on power level, it has a lot of cards that I'm really excited about. So I think it's going to be a sweet set to play with, and I'm really excited to see how it uh, impacts Constructed Formats. I know Willie Adele said that he's very confident that even minus this new Eldrazi deck, you're going to see a lot of Eldrazi at the Pro Tour, which is Modern. So I'm really excited to see how these cards impact not only Standard, but Modern.
0: Yeah. All right, uh, gentlemen, another great cast. Uh, really excited for next week. So definitely going to be looking forward to that, and it's going to be awesome. So we will do this next week live. All right. Uh, that being said, this is the MTG Goldfish Crew signing out. Uh, we will see you next time.